looking for Ange. Anybody see my wife? <laughs> oh, can you go grab her for me? And while she's coming, again, we're having a special service that we do once a year. And so we call it annual, and uh, it is an annual cross service. And this morning we're going to do something really a little bit different. And normally I'm preaching, what have you. But uh, this is really just, how many loves to hear what people have experienced in Jesus Christ? We call it a testimony. And uh, so we've got some very, very special speakers this morning. And so I'm going to let Ange. A few weeks ago, a little bit, hi. A few weeks ago, a little bit before Christmas, we just, I got involved in a spontaneous conversation after church. And it was uh, such an inspiring conversation. I just had to share. I just thought, I, I, wish, I wish everybody I knew could be in this little small circle right now and hear what I am hearing. So, um, Danielle, come on up. Danielle is our friend and sister in the Lord. And she was just spilling over that day with joyful tears of just just describing what God was doing for her in her life. And I'm going to guess that there are some people occasionally who are so low and so ready to make statements of hopelessness and utter fatigue um, that you're going to be inspired today to hang on to the hope in Jesus Christ because she'll tell you why. All right, here you go. Good morning, everyone. So a few months back, um, in speaking with Pastor Gary even, um, through everything, yeah, through everything that I've been going through in life and just the downs and some of the darkest moments of my entire life, um, you know, I, I come to Pastor Gary, I come to Angie, I come to family and friends just not knowing which direction to go. Um, just, I need guidance. I need where do we go from here um, between, you know, financial and, you know, Christmas coming up and just everything was, it was very overwhelming. Um, so, you know, through all of that, I, I had spoke with Pastor Gary months ago and he had given me the book, um, The Circle Maker, and I started reading that. And it just hit home to a point where I, I didn't, I was just beside myself with what has happened in my life, following the words in that book, um, following the, the words of God on a daily basis, whether it be, you know, my Jesus Calling book, my daily devotional book, my apps on my phone showing me daily, you know, the word of God. Um, I was come to by one of the brothers as well, you know, he, he said, have you been saved? And I said, you know what, with what I've been going through in my life, I, I have to say yes, absolutely. Without the Lord, I would not have made it through alone. And he was by me. He was by my side. He built my strength through what I've been through. Um, just the overwhelming amount of blessings that were poured on me within a week's time were phenomenal. The, after that, that day, when I sat down and I did that, that just, you know, if there's something special I need to do to be saved, I, I'll take it. 
you know, so we sat down, we had a prayer. I gave myself to the Lord and I said, I will give myself to you from this point forward and, and you will be by my side. So through that, that day, the next day I woke up, I had a $150 gift card in my email from a friend. I got a bag of dog food. I got, you know, I mean, just as simple as that may seem, you know, the, the presents for my children for Christmas, I didn't spend a penny. I had gift cards handed to me by numerous different people, children, uh, I mean, clothes for my children. Uh, just within a week's time, the blessings that poured on me, uh, all I could think was, uh, how is this real? This isn't real life. And then I realized, this is the Lord showing me he is my solid ground. And I was beside myself. I still am to this day. And just with everything that I've been through in the past few weeks and reading The Circle Maker, there is this part in there. If you've read it, you'll, you'll recognize it. If not, I suggest it. Um, it. Where the ministry was asking for a $2 million miracle. And it took a few years because it's in God's time, not in theirs. Um, and, you know, after that few years, they got a $3 million donation to that ministry. And he said, but why not two? Why not two million? That's my specific request was two. So the $3 million was given and it was God saying, I can do better than that. The next year they got a $4 million donation. But why? Because God's saying, I can do even better than that. <laughs> so in the way that my week went and where I was at in that book, it all fell hand in hand. God's saying, I can do better. I can do better than that. I can ensure you that I am your solid ground. And where I got stuck in that book was don't pray for God to amaze you, but pray for God to perplex you. And he, by, by far, exceeded my expectations in perplexing me and the blessings that I received. And I, the Lord is my Savior. <laughs> I love, I love new believers, don't you? and the fresh spontaneity of what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. And so I want us to do something today. I want us to step out in faith and begin to pray a blessing upon Danielle, her children, her husband. And I want you to believe that God's going to do far above and beyond what she could ask or think. According to the Spirit who's at work, oh, hallelujah. Somebody, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift up Danielle to you. We lift up her children. We lift up John to you. Father God, I thank you for what happened to her. She had a collision, and she ran into you in 2018, and she's never been the same. Lord, I thank you for the smile that replaced, oh God, a face that couldn't smile because you came. Hallelujah. I'm thanking you for the growth that she has experienced and her relying upon you. And so today, Lord, we are in agreement as a household of faith here. We are asking God that you would continue to do the work that you've already been doing. But we pray for increase, increase, 
in that work. Hallelujah. We lift her up, Lord. May she see, Lord, all of the visions, Lord, that she has had for what you're going to do, for the desires of her heart. May they come to pass this year. Hallelujah. And we give you all the thanks. We give you all the praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. A dear man of God to me is, uh, is Ted Weaver. Known Ted since we came here 20 years ago. And uh, he's a man who really loves the Lord. And I asked if he would share on this Sunday because of all that God has done to him. Yeah, how many... How many here has a testimony? Well, you do. Everybody has one, whether you know it or not. Everybody has a testimony. Sometimes the testimony is long. Sometimes it's short. But it's a testimony. It's your testimony. Ted's going to, uh, on this very special day, uh, what Jesus has done for us, starting at the, you know, with him coming, but then going to the cross, hallelujah, He's going to be sharing uh, his testimony, but also sharing from the Word. And so he's got a great Word. So how many's ready? Give it up. Would you do that for Ted? Good morning, First Church. Boy, it's a, it's a good thing to be not only in church this morning, not only coming together with the brothers and sisters and worshiping the Lord, but to to be in a full gospel Pentecostal church where we believe the Word, we believe all the Word. We may not always understand all of it, but we believe it. We don't have to quibble and quabble over what should be in there, what shouldn't be in there, and I, I, just, I just thank God that we're able to do that here today. I'd like to um, briefly, I'm going to try to keep this, I told Pastor Gary, somewhere under four hours because... Because I'm 52 years old, so imagine all you know. We're going to squeeze all that in there, so we're going to try to keep it under that time frame. But I would like to uh, to open up in prayer, just to to ask the Holy Spirit to put away any distractions, to help the message come forth, and to just be with us all here this morning. Dear Lord God, we ask that that your presence would be here. We know it's here already, Lord. We thank you for the worship service. We thank you for the testimony that's already come forth this morning, Lord God. Lord, be with me, Lord, as I try to express what you've done in my life, what I've learned from you, and what your word has been illuminated to me here in these last couple years. Lord, we ask this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to try to saturate a lot of what I talk about today with, with a lot of Scripture. Um, and, and the first one that, um, that we come to is kind of the theme of what I'm going to be talking about here today is Amos chapter 3, verse 3. It says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, we use that term a lot in, in personal horizontal relationships. But I'm here today to kind of talk about how can two walk together unless they be agreed, meaning my walk and your walk and where the Holy Spirit wants us to walk. Those two must be together in order to be agreed or they can't walk. They must be agreed or they cannot walk together. We're told in the Old Testament that Noah and Enoch walked with God. And we all, no matter how old we are, we have some type of a walk that we've made in our lives. It, for some of us, it's been away from God in a different direction. For some of us, it's been, it's been with God from day one. 
without looking to the left or looking to the right. But I, I want to I talk about that variation where we can walk away. The Bible tells us that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, but it doesn't say that we can't leave Him or forsake Him. We can walk places that He's not going to go with us. We can go directions He doesn't want us to go, and that turns into a wilderness. And a wilderness, a lot of times in the Bible, became a laboratory where God could mold and make and change individuals. It's not pretty, it's not good, it's not fun, it's a wilderness. When we don't walk in that direction that He wants us to go. I had a lifestyle off and on through my life that sometimes reflected Christ and sometimes didn't. Shame on me for the times that it didn't. We're here to reflect Christ. The decisions we make that we have to live with the rest of our lives. Sometimes just a little thing, sometimes a big thing. If we walk and agree with what this book tells us, with what the Holy Spirit tells us, we'll be on the right path and we won't look back and have regrets and have to make up for things and decisions that we made when we walked on our own in the power of our own self. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit here. As I, in, in my walk, as I was in a wilderness a couple years ago, in about every area of my life, I didn't ask God why. The Holy Spirit was able to tell me why. I knew why. There was a selfishness involved in decisions that I made in practically every area of my life. And we try to ask God to come along with us and help us with those decisions. God, I want to make this job happen. Lord, I want to have this relationship. Can you bless it for me? That's not necessarily the way God works. We should ask Him first which position we want to have, which relationship we want to get into, which path we want to take and follow Him, not ask Him to follow us. That's rarely going to happen. That's rarely going to happen. So in the book of Nehemiah, the walls are broken down. The gates are burned. In, in 1 Kings, one of the most powerful scriptures to me is when, when Elijah is before all these idolaters and he has to go over and repair the altar of the Lord. It was broken down, the scripture tells us. There's been many times in this particular time where in my life the altar of the Lord was broken down, and it needed repaired, been neglected, walking in a direction we shouldn't have been walking. Unless two are agreed, how can they walk together? So I ask myself, well, am I wheat or am I a tare? Am I a goat or am I a sheep? Am I a good fish or a bad fish? Am I part of the many that Jesus talks about, or am I part of the few? There's a clear definition in the Bible, and we can almost make not really an assumption. We're told that of the church, not the world, forget the world, the people that don't know Christ, the people that aren't Christians, the people don't, that don't go to church or claim to be a Christian, of that church, many will say, Lord, Lord. There are only few who will find it. We're told to examine ourselves. When we examine ourselves, we can thank God for unanswered prayer, for asking Him to bless those things that we thought in our own selfishness, in our own mind, in our own heart, in our own 
desires to bless for us to do, we can look back and thank Him, say, thank God, Lord, thank you that you said no. Thank you that you caused that door to slam shut. When we see ourselves like God wants us to see us, it's not pretty. The Bible tells us that. A couple quotes I wanted to read that are very powerful. Let these sink in. Charles Spurgeon, talking of the Holy Spirit, he says, The Holy Spirit lays a man's heart bare. It lets him see the loathsome cancer that is there eating away his life. It uncovers to him all the blackness and defilement of that stink of hell that is the human heart. And then the man stands aghast. C.S. Lewis says, It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present with us. It is the very sign of His presence. When we see and we notice the dirt, it is the very sign of His presence. Does that sound harsh? It sounds harsh. Those are just commentaries from preachers. The Word tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it goes even above and beyond, I think, the quotes that I just read. Who can know the heart it is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Our heart, above all things, above a, a friend that's trying to deceive you, above an enemy that's trying to lead you astray, above the devil, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Holy Spirit illuminates that to us and shows us. There's times in the Bible where the Word was neglected that altered the Lord in my life that I talked about that was broken down, that needed repaired. In Nehemiah, when Ezra stood up after years of silence and read the Word to the people, you get the sense when you read it in the book of Nehemiah that the people more or less lost their minds. They had to be calmed down. The priests had to go through the crowds and calm the people down. When Jonah spoke the word of the Lord to the king of Nineveh, he tore his clothes, he sat in sackcloth and ashes, and even had the animals in sackcloth and fasting. In Kings and Chronicles, when Hilkiah found the book of the law that had been hidden in the temple, and came to the king and said, look what I found, I found the book of the law. The king read it, it was read to the king, he cried, tore his clothes, and sent out a council to find out what we must do. What must we do now? We've heard the word of the Lord. Now what do we do? We tear our clothes. We repent. We fast. We cover ourselves in sackcloth and sit in ashes. See, a revival is only needed if you're not in a revival. We only need a revival if we're not in a revival, whether it's personal, whether it's relational, whether it's corporate. We should strive to be in a constant state of revival. How do we do that? When the Holy Spirit illuminates and convicts us and shows us that heart that's desperately wicked. 
our own heart. In the Old Testament, God talks several times about removing the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. In Isaiah chapter 6, a very popular piece of Scripture, when, when Isaiah says he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. The first thing that Isaiah says after that is, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. When he saw the Lord, it illuminated to himself what he was. The angel came and touched the tongs to his lips, said, your iniquity is purged. Seeing the Lord, having the Scripture illuminated, having the Scripture read like we just gave the examples of, allows us to see ourselves. Isaiah said, woe is me. So that takes us to a step of being convicted of sin. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. When we're convicted, one, one description or analogy is that we see the sin how God sees it. We see it for what it is. Just being convicted isn't good enough because we can see that sin. And I think that I lived my life for years, and I think there's a lot of people in the church that live under a conviction of sin where you know what it is. And you go to church, and maybe it's a struggle, up and down and back and forth. Repentance is not seeing the sin like God sees it, but it's feeling it. You feel about sin the way God feels about sin. You don't just see it for what it is. You begin to hate what you used to love. You begin to love what you used to hate. You see the sin and feel the sin like God sees it when true repentance comes in. That's when revival happens. Not only see it, you feel it. Not just, when we say sin, sometimes, a lot of times we think about adultery, murder, fornication, theft, lying. But what about the, the other sins that are mentioned in the Bible? The jealousy, the covetousness, the, the wrong motives for why we do certain things. Pride. Good Lord, help us with pride. Help us all with pride. Help us with the pride of life. Help us with any area of pride in our life. Holy Spirit, show us areas of pride. It can keep us from seeing the kingdom of God. The Word tells us. You don't have to kill somebody or commit adultery or rob a bank. Just be really proud. Why did Satan get kicked out of heaven? And when we think we're there, very dangerous, extremely dangerous to imagine something. I think I'm quoting A.W. Tozer here, paraphrasing. It's dangerous to imagine something about God and then start to believe that it's so. When we imagine any aspect about God that doesn't line up with this Scripture and start to believe it, well, God would be okay. He would understand if I did this. Well, God would allow me to do this. I, I know, I just feel it. Does it line up with Scripture? That's, a, that's the wrong feeling. That's not true. That's a lie. It's dangerous to imagine things about God, about His nature, that doesn't line up with the book and start to believe that it's so. The Bible is not just so that we know about God. There's lots of people with lots of knowledge about God and, and degrees and, and different colleges and seminaries, but this book is supernatural. 
it not only lets us know about God, it lets us know God. We know God through the book. We know about Him, and then we know Him through His Word. It's how He speaks to us. We're born again. That new creation happens. The old passes away. There's a new, a new creation with God that dwells within them. I appreciated Danielle's testimony. That, that new birth and a new creation and the new, the new habits that change. You think about reading the Bible. You think about praying. You think about attending church. You can't wait for the doors to open. It's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us that does that. None of this stuff is of our own. Any good quality, at the end of this message, if you think, well, Ted did good about this, did about good about that, none of it's Ted Weaver. Ted Weaver's heart is deceitfully wicked. Above all things, it's the Holy Spirit. If you take anything away from this message, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you into your, into your heart, into your spirit. Take it with you and cherish it. Meditate on it. You go to church, you tithe. You, you don't, you don't uh, go back and forth in your mind about whether you tithe on the gross or we tithe on the net. Or how much, how little can I get away with and still be okay with God to tithe? You bring first fruits. First fruits of every area of our life. What about the first fruits of the day that's talked about in the Bible? Before distractions start in the morning and the phone starts ringing or we got to get in the car and go to work. What about that first hour in the morning? That first hour and a half. If you haven't done it, you should try it. I know there's a, there's a pastor that... that um, that I'm familiar with that sets his clock every night at midnight and gets up and prays for an hour, the first hour of the day. Done it for decades. Um, what about well, many of us get a two-week vacation every year? Have we considered giving a day or two of that two-week vacation instead of on ourself some type of ministry for the Lord, a first fruit? In area, area of our every area of our lives, I could go on and on and on. When that spirit comes in and there's a new creation, habits change, things change. You think the Holy Spirit enlightens you to situations that are unresolved that you need to take control of, and you reach out and you write letters to people, you make phone calls to people, you send emails to people, you go back. And you go back for what the areas that He directs you and points you in to reconcile anything that's within your ability to do so. I think now, sometimes in, in, in America at least, we see, we see Christians and churchgoers that try to seek a smooth message. Something that's not contradictory. Something that doesn't talk about wrath. A message that doesn't talk about correction and rebuke, which we need. We never hit a point to where we're there. We've got it all covered and we're solved. Be careful, because there's angels in heaven that thought that, a third of them. A third of them in heaven. Good Lord, how can we even comprehend that? And we're here and we think that we've got our ticket to heaven. And, and 
There, there's nothing that can interfere with that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 tells us partially what this word is for. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The first two aren't necessarily positive. If I'm doing something wrong, if I'm out of line, I at least want, I want somebody to bring it to my attention. The Holy Spirit, somebody sees something. Reprove, the more you read the Word, it'll be illuminated to you. Reprove, re, reprove rebuke, and exhort is what Timothy was told. This is not just an American Bible. This Bible isn't just for the United States and the culture and the country that we grew up in. It's for the entire world. When we hear a gospel message that couldn't be immediately translated into another language and taken to a jungle in Africa or in the desert of Egypt, it's not the gospel. That's not a gospel message. You've got to think that Satan's efforts have been vastly, majorly, majorly focused towards the church. The world, the selfishness taking care of itself doesn't need a whole lot of maintenance. All that stuff is kind of rolling along on its own. But the church, the messages, we're warned over and over again about antichrists, about being deceived. How many times did Jesus tell us in the Bible, don't be deceived? Beware, he said, at the end, even if possible, the elect being deceived. We have to protect ourselves, stay in the Word. I think that um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, I want to contrast this New Testament Scripture with an Old Testament Scripture. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Oh God, forgive me for so many times my testimony didn't reflect you, where my life didn't reflect you, where I named the name of Christ, but that walk was in areas of iniquity. Forgive us, Lord. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I go back to the third commandment where it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I know we like to associate that with some type of cuss word or using the word God's name in a, in a profane way. I say that lines up very close with this Scripture here, that in the Old Testament, the third commandment God gave was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Because the testimony's destroyed. Because if I'm out, if I'm out drinking the same beer, and I'm out smoking the same cigarettes, and I'm out in the same nightclubs with people, and try to tell them, "Well, hey, I'm a Christian. You should come to church with me sometime." What kind of testimony is that? It's useless. What a disgrace. What a what a pathetic disgrace. We've got to be careful in the first chapter of Romans is a very scary portion of Scripture. It talks about God giving people up. There's three, three times it's referred to in the first chapter of Romans. The first time God gives them up to uncleanness. The first time God gives them up to vile passions. And the third time God gives them over to a debased mind. 
if we continue to reject conviction of the Holy Spirit, we're going to become numb to that. If, if people are in a, in, a, in, a, in a sermon or they're in a situation where they're being witnessed to and they feel the Lord calling them through their heart to change their life, to become born again, and they turn that down and say no, the next time it's going to be easier. The third time it'll be easier if they have that opportunity. We can grieve and we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin that's talked about in the New Testament is where there's no listening to the Holy Spirit anymore. It's not necessarily one particular act individually. We've blasphemed the Holy Spirit to the point where we can't hear. God gave them over to a debased mind. David prayed after his incidents with, with Bathsheba, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Oh, Lord. You can feel, you just read it in the Scripture, Psalm 51, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. What do we have left? We don't have the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We're talking about walking. It says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Every step we take. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now we can flip that around and make an assumption of what happens if we don't walk in the Spirit. If we don't walk in the Spirit, if we walk in our own direction, if we walk in a selfish way. Further on in the same chapter, it says if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. In John chapter 7, the words of Jesus... John refers to the words of Jesus that at the time the disciples didn't understand. When he said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit. At the time they didn't understand what that meant. John's going back here, re-quoting, reminding us that when Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I wanted to do a little bit of an analogy here because we're told in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to try to bring this up closer so everybody can see. Just a simple elementary school type analogy here for us about being filled with the Spirit. And I, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The self that we follow around, that lets lead us. You know, let me ask you, when we walk, when we get up, when we make decisions, when we take a job, when we make a move, when we pick a wife, when we decide to have children, when we go to watch a movie, whatever we do, do we, is it our body, is it the flesh doing it, or are we telling our body what to do? Do we control our flesh? Do we control ourselves? We have things, We have things in our life that come in, our job, our, our situations at work, our family members, our, our uh, interests, hobbies, our um, uh, maybe personality issues that we have to deal with. Like I was talking about the, the pride that we struggle with. Maybe it's lust that we have problems with. Maybe it's uh, lying that we have problems with. Maybe it's anger. Maybe there's all these things in our life that we deal with that take up that fill ourself. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit filled to capacity. When we're filled to capacity, that means from end to end. So we get to the point where all those things through reading and praying and going to church and having fellowship and spending time with the Lord and seeking His face and asking Him what He wants, then all that, I made a mess here, all of this, all this comes out and we're filled with the Spirit. That's the word in Greek that it means full to capacity, every nook and cranny. We're full of the Spirit. There's no room for this garbage. The ten virgins all started out on an even playing field. If the bridegroom would have came at the beginning of that parable, all ten would have gotten in. All ten would have been invited in to the wedding feast. Five of them let their lamps go low. They didn't keep their oil. We know oil and water in Scripture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When the trumpet blew, they panicked. Hey, we're, we're, we're out of oil. Give us some of yours. Hey, the, the five wise virgins said, not so. Go and buy from those that, that sell. And we know the story. They came back. It was too late. When the trumpet sounds, we're told that Jesus is returning for a pure, spotless bride. <clears throat> a pure, spotless bride. And Jude, spotless. And Jude, we're told that we drag some, pull some from the fire, hating even the fle- hating even the garment that's spotted by the flesh, ourself. In Scripture, that self and flesh term is completely interchangeable for the most part. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. I use the Amplified Version here to expound on a particular point. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Tells us what Jesus is returning for. And who's going to get the crown. Paul says, not only to me, but to all those who have loved and longed for and welcomed His appearing. Now, does the thought of that trumpet sounding right now, does it send a cold chill down your spine? Or does it make you think, oh, Lord, I'm ready. I can step right in now. If we're walking in this Spirit, it's God the Father calling home God the Holy Spirit in the twinkling of an eye. There's no time to run and buy oil. There's no time to wait down the road to, to make plans to get some of this stuff out of our life. When the trumpet sounds, the oil needs to be full. We, we need to be full. And how does that happen? Well, it only happens if we're full of the Spirit. There's a world, on top of that, personally for ourselves, there's a world, there's a country that needs Jesus Christ, that needs to see Jesus Christ. We were discussing a couple Dayton Daily News articles just this morning here before church, and I won't even go down that direction. But in this day, in the United States, with the resources we have more than ever before, more church outreach programs more than ever before, more Bibles in print around and available more than ever before, more technology than ever before, but also with more self-focus than ever before. Think about it. Think about what social media revolves around. It's not all bad. If it takes up more of your time, 
then seeking the Lord and spending time with Him, that's not good? What's the, what's the time comparison? If you put a time clock when you woke up to the time you go to bed and you broke that down and put it in a pie chart on what you spent your time doing, it's self-focused. Look, we call them selfies. We, we, we put it up and we, and we take a selfie. I think that prior to Satan's fall from heaven, he probably would have taken a lot of selfies. With all of this, these resources that we've never had before in the history of the earth, do you know what happened last year? The life expectancy in the United States went down. Think about it. Think, let that sink in. The health care the advancements in medicine, the resources we have. Life expectancy went down because of suicides and overdoses. In the dark ages, they would hire jesters to dance around and tell jokes to make the, royal, the royalty laugh and feel better so they didn't have to think about reality. We don't have jesters anymore, but we have entertainment. We watch television. We're, we're avid sports fans. Sometimes we consume ourselves with entertainment to laugh, to feel good. Because the op- if we didn't have that in our lives, we fo- the only other thing to focus on is reality. If you haven't taken a break from television, if you even watch it, I would highly recommend giving that a crack. Are there tears in heaven? You know, we've... We've heard there's songs and we talk about it. And up until recently, we always think, well, in heaven there are no tears. I I think the Bible contradicts that. Here's why. In heaven is where God wipes away the tears. Not down here. They get wiped away in heaven. And if we read in Luke chapter 16, verse 26, the parable here of Lazarus and the rich man. Think about this just for a minute. Just illuminated to me recently, but the rich man in hell is being told there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. There's a desire for people in heaven to want to go to hell for what they see. A loved one, a person, a family member. It's that bad. That's where the tears in heaven come from that get wiped away later on in the book of Revelation. Something to think about. There's a gulf fixed, not just so the people from there can get to heaven, It says both, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Powerful scripture. So Pentecost came for this. I heard this analogy. Write this down if you want. Um, It's extremely uh, rich in, in meaning. But Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, because the Christian life that we've talked about up until now isn't hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. We, we can't do this on our own. It's impossible. 
We have to have the Holy Spirit. When God sent the Holy Spirit, it's God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, revealing God the Son through a vessel called the church. When He looks down at the church, He wants to see the reflection of His Son. That's only possible through the Holy Spirit. Why do the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents? Because that's another vessel that God can display His Son in through the Holy Spirit. That's why they rejoice. This allows Jesus to be made real. I think back all the times He wasn't made real in my life. Make Him real. Young people, you have families. Put an altar in your house. Pray together. Make Jesus real, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Make Him real. We come back in here. We get refueled. We get juiced up. We go out again. I don't go to church. I am the church. With the Holy Spirit in us, Jesus Christ goes to school. He goes to work. He goes to the grocery store. He flies on airplanes. He stays in hotel rooms. He's seen. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he must increase. Paul said, for me to to live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. We don't have to warm pews in the church or drain church resources with endless counseling and interfere with the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We weren't born to be babies. I have four little grandbabies, two boys, two girls. They're the four best ones, by the way. But they weren't born to be babies. We weren't born to be babies. Jesus wasn't born to be this baby. When we're born again, we're immediately a baby. We have to grow. If I had an x-ray machine right here, we could all walk behind and look and see ourselves spiritually. Are we still a baby? We don't want to be a baby. There's a popular quote from President Kennedy from years ago. Ask not what your country can do for you. I say we can take that same attitude and that same mentality and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're full of, say, ask not what your pastor can do for you. Ask not what your spouse can do for you. Ask not what your teacher can do for you. Ask not what your family can do for you, but what you can do for them. That leads us to the cross. You know, for for the last year and a half reading the Bible, when I get to the Gospels, I literally, literally cannot read past the Garden of Gethsemane. It's too much. I've read it many times. But it means more. It means something different. The abandonment. The punishment. That we can't even imagine. You know, I I know what the cross represents, and I know we use it in Christianity as an emblem. But what a 
hellish invention. You know, if Jesus, if they had hung Jesus with the rope, would, would we have a, a hangman's noose as our symbol of Christianity? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. But the cross, when we read that story, it's incredible. We can't, we can't comprehend the abandonment. The abandonment of Peter when he was cussing out the people and saying, I don't know him, and I left, and he left him. Alone, so alone, this is how alone he was in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. For some reason, if I knew this, it didn't stick with me, and I didn't recollect it until recently. But he was so alone that they use the word compelled here, a man traveling, coming out of another country. Good Lord, there was nobody even there to help carry this cross. And a stranger from another country didn't even want to, which is why we're told he was compelled. Let that sink in. So this same Peter, oh, this is where it gets good. This is where if I was going to run, I, might, I would take off running about now. This is where it gets really good. This, this same Peter who abandoned him and let a stranger help him carry the cross. We read, we go ahead, chapter 5 in the book of Acts. And they were told, they were arrested and brought in and told not to preach in this name of Jesus who just shortly, not too long before, had denied that he even knew. Don't preach in this name of Jesus, he's told by the religious leaders of the day, of the time. Don't preach. Don't mention his name. Probably you could talk about God, you could talk about whatever you want. Don't use this name of Jesus. You're causing problems for us here. Okay. And we're going to put you in jail. Lock them up. Close the door, lock it. Put the guards at the, at the, at the jail. Think about what they want to do to him. Are they going to kill him? Probably not because there's a little uh, uh, excitement going on in the city about the crucifixion of Jesus. So they're like, well, go get him. Let's talk to him again. So they send, they send the guards to go get him. They find the, the guards are still there. The cell's locked. They look inside and the preachers are gone. It's empty. There's no preachers. They come back and say, hey, the guards are there. Doors are locked. They tell the council they're gone. So the, the, the Scripture tells us they were wondering what was going to become of this. In other words, are we going to have to go chase them? Hopefully they went out of town. We, we hope we never see them again, but if we do, what are we going to do? We're going to have to get ready for them. Should we go looking for them? Then, then almost immediately another fellow comes in and says, hey, listen, we found them. Those preachers are in your church talking to the people. That's the Holy Spirit. What happened between that point where Peter denied him and ran and left was the Pentecost that happened. They were full of the Holy Spirit. Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men. They didn't have to worry about going to chase him. They got out of prison. They didn't run away. They didn't deny anything. They went to the church and started preaching. 
Not by power nor by might. All this can't be done by ourselves, not in the flesh. When we're convicted of sin, we're just convicted. We just know what it is. When we repent, we feel about sin how God feels about it. When we're convicted, that doesn't help us. It's a stepping stone. It starts the repentance process, but just being convicted is not good enough. We can't deal with this ourselves. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In closing, turn this over back to Pastor Gary. The, um, the Bible tells us clearly, not by power nor by might. We can't do it ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but by my Spirit, the Lord does it through the Holy Spirit, which we have to rely on every minute of every day. I just before before we before we turn it over, if we could, without any music or anything, can we just sing just sing one one stanza, one line of turn your eyes upon Jesus, if you don't know the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. By the light of his glory and grace, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord lifted up. High. This train filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. Pastor Gary, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise His name. Hallelujah. Yeah, thank you guys. What we do every year when we come to this portion of the service, and Ted, that was a masterful message. A masterful message. And when we come to the cross service, there's two words that ring out to me every year, especially. And it's found in in Ephesians and Galatians both. And the two words are this. In fact, let me just say three. Get rid. Get rid of. You know, something about a new year. Just something about starting over. Something about a new beginning. New beginnings are good. And this morning is an opportunity for a new beginning. And sometimes you just got to look at yourself in the mirror. How many has gotten rid of all the mirrors in your house because you just don't like what you see? You'd rather not have any mirrors. But in the mirror, sometimes there's something there that you look at and you think, I really wish I didn't look like that. I really wish I didn't have that. Well, spiritually this morning, I'm going to ask that you would examine yourself and look into a spiritual mirror. The Word says, 
For instance, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but that which is helpful for others or building up others according to their needs. How many times have we just let our mouth run amuck? We let our thoughts run amuck, and what comes out is unwholesome. But then that is the character of this world that we live in. We are inundated, saturated with unwholesomeness. And it's hard not to be affected. And if it's not unwholesomeness of just character, it's of spirituality. And that the world can cause you to doubt what at one time you just accepted. But you got smarter because of the history channel. You got smarter about life itself because you've heard all the teaching that's out there from those who are scientists, who those who are experts. Turn your eyes upon Jesus requires a simplistic faith. It's hard to understand it. The Bible says that we are to not grieve the Holy Spirit, not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Then it says this. These are some of those things that today we're going to concentrate on. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just, in just about one minute. Come to this cross. In this box, you'll find paper, pen, nails. Here are a couple of hammers. And you just begin to take that paper. You, you reflect on what you need to get rid of. By the way, the Bible says get rid of all bitterness. You know, you cannot progress forward as a believer if bitterness is reigning in your heart. It just is not possible. It doesn't mean that you no longer love God, but you're not going to go forward. In fact, you start going backwards. Maybe bitterness has overwhelmed you. The Bible also says get rid of rage, get rid of anger, get rid of brawling and slander. And all kinds and forms of malice. You can fill in the blanks. You can fill in the blanks of what that means. This morning, think about what you want to put down on this piece of paper. I'm going to ask people to start coming and making a line and just start coming to the cross. And as many want to gather around, you take that paper, you, f you fill out what you th believe God is speaking to you about. Something I want to get rid of in my life. And 2019, this is what I'm asking you, oh God, this is what maybe I'm giving up. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe You fill in the blank. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad I'm not your Holy Spirit? Because right now I could just say, well, you need to do this and this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And it would come from the spirit of Gary. There's a spirit that is called holy. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of conviction, a spirit of leadership. So this morning, as you hear from God, you put on that piece of paper, you fold it up, and then you bang it on that cross. And if you uh, 
maybe you might feel, you know, two nights ago, we had a, a service for ministers here on Friday night, and we had a move of the Holy Spirit. It was an awesome move of God. And I gave out towels to all these ministers, towels of service, to remind them that their calling is about serving one another. And one brother was saying, I just want this to happen in 2019. I want this to happen in 2019. And under inspiration, I just said, brother, I want you to roll that towel up really, really tight. It's a big white towel. And now I want you to start. And I said, you know the story in the Word of God. And I want you to strike the floor. And he knew what to do. He just began striking it, striking it, striking it, striking it emphasizing of what he wanted to see happen in the Spirit. So this morning, uh, as you do this, as you come to the cross, when you leave, just make your way over here, and uh, we're going to have our elders and wives back here. They're going to serve you communion. You just go up, they'll serve you, and, and you uh, can go sit down and, and, part, you know, and partake of it, or you can take of it right there. If you want special prayer, my wife and I will be over here and uh, ask Randy to come help me. And and uh, if you need special prayer, we'll be happy to pray with you. But if you could start the music, hallelujah, just some soft music playing the whole time. Father God, I thank you for a great message this morning that was a reminder, Lord, of the call of holiness in our lives. It's the call to put our eyes upon you and not to take our eyes off of you. And Lord, today, you know our hearts. And as been said already, and the word has made it abundantly clear, that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But Lord, you know it. You know the wickedness of our hearts. And Lord, today, we come with all humility. And we become, Lord, we want to become, again, a wholesome servant without shame. So, Lord, receive, receive these pieces of thought on paper. And, Lord, we nail it to the cross. We nail it to the cross. We crucify it. Hallelujah. That we might become the servant that you would have us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you begin to leave?